If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of California Underground. I am very excited to have Adam back with me from Open the Books. He's the CEO of the uh, organization Open the Books. Uh, he came on last year, and we talked a lot about this stuff and about transparency and how California was the last holdout of opening the checkbook and not letting its its voters and its people see what where's the money actually going. Uh, so then recently I just saw on social media, if you follow uh, their social media on Instagram, they do a great job with the videos. Adam does a great job breaking down the numbers on short little snippets. And I saw that they had all of this new information about Newsom and California and all of this stuff. And I said, we got to get Adam back on the platform. So Adam, welcome back. How are you doing tonight? Well, Phil, it's great to be here. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I just finished a 20-mile training run for the Chicago Marathon on Sunday. I still feel it, but I'm feeling better. That's for sure. Uh, coming to you on Wednesday night here. Yeah, I, 20 miles is a lot. I think if I tried to run one mile, I would probably pass out. Um, so kudos to you. Some people are just born runners. I, I never was a runner. I don't know how to do it. I, I stick to the rowing machine. Um, but as always, I also have to introduce my trusty co-host Cynthia is also here tonight. We're both going to be peppering Adam with plenty of questions about the numbers. Um, and Adam also let us in on that. He, he's got some stuff on uh, Dr. Fauci as well. So we might get to that a little bit later in the show. Um, but Adam, let's start with from last year, we talked about all of this information. And now all of a sudden you have a lot more data. What transpired? What happened between last year and this year? So it was really a 10-year knockdown, drag-out battle over the last decade to open the books on the line-by-line -line spending in the state of California. Just briefly, we went through two California controllers, John Chang and Betty Yee, who had rejected our sunshine request in the Golden State. Now, across the country, we collect the checkbook, one request with the chief financial officer in 49 out of 50 states. We've had the federal checkbook all the way back to the year 2001 and 15,000 local municipal level units of government, we have their line by line spending, including 3,000 municipalities in the state of California. So it was always mystifying to us as to why they would not produce the line by line spending of the state. We sued them in Sacramento Superior Court in January of 2020. The case went on for about two years. We actually lost the case. The judge gave us nothing the controller mm -hmm. actually posited the argument in court that the data was of limited public value. Yes, you're supposed to pay the bill, but then you, the pesky taxpayer, are supposed to shut up. They'll run things. Where they spend your money is of limited public value. In their opinion, the judge bought it, and out of 50 million bills that controller Betty Yee paid last year, we got zero, nothing but we always had plan B. The books were always going open in California. So we pivoted to plan B and that was to file 442 sunshine requests with every single state agency. They produced their line by line spending. We compiled the California checkbook like a jigsaw puzzle. So Phil, we did what the governor, the controller, the attorney general who backed the controller in court, what the lawmakers, the state judge and the bureaucrats refused to do. We at OpenTheBooks.com, we opened the line-by-line uh, -line spending in the state of California, and I'm proud of our team. Yeah, and if you look at uh, 
you posted some great stuff on Substack. Uh, if you want to go follow Adam and open the books over there, you can go read stuff uh, that everything that's been going on. Uh, but it's it's amazing numbers to look at. And before we came on, I was reading your stuff tonight and I was just, my jaw dropped at the stuff that I, I was reading. Um, you knew that Newsom was always sort of that politician who was working around the gray area and in a one-party state like California, you're going to get people who kind of, I guess, work in that gray area of being ethical, but who's going to really punish them? Who's really going to hold them to task? And you look at these numbers and you go, I guess nobody's holding anybody to task because it just looks like he gets away with basically anything he wants to do. Um, so I guess we'll start there. Let's let's just dive right in to the Newsom state vendor payments because there's a lot there, and I think you want to break all that stuff down for the listeners and talk about what what are we looking at here with these numbers. So first, the historic achievement: we posted eighty-seven billion dollars of state line-by-line state spending from the agencies in fiscal year twenty twenty-one. What that amounts to is it's. 201,000 state vendors, and it's 6.1 million, almost 6.2 million records on our website at openthebooks.com. We took that database, we compared it up against Governor Newsom's campaign donor disclosures. So here's what we found, Phil. We found that he solicited nearly 1,000 state vendors. They gave him campaign donations of $10.6 million, and those 1,000 vendors just last year received $6.2 $6.2 billion in state payments. Wow. And so you had posted on this article, that amount that you just said is almost what, like 40% of the war chest that Newsom is sitting on right now? Yeah, 10.6 million of campaign cash, that's material. So he's sitting mm. on August 1st of this year, 2022, Newsom is sitting on $24 million in his campaign fund. So it's about 44% of cash on hand comes from state vendors. So think about this. Governor Newsom has pioneered the public financing of his campaign. You got some of the largest corporations in the state of California with massive contracts. For example, you've got six healthcare companies. Think, you know, Kaiser Permanente, United Healthcare, the Two Blues. They give Governor Newsom about $700,000 in campaign donations. Just last year, they received $1.9 billion in state payments. So these large corporations with basically public-private partnerships with quasi-marketplace monopoly control, they are funding the political status quo in California by recycling just a small piece of their state government contracts back in to the governor's campaign fund. And then he's running ads all across the country. He's attacking the governors in Florida and Texas. He's running billboards in South Dakota. He's running ads on Fox News. You know, and and taxpayers in California have a big stake in his political marketing campaign out of his campaign fund. So kind of like, I guess, let's break this down a little bit. How does he, how does he get the, specifically get the money to him, to his campaign. So people are kind of wondering, like, what does this mean when there's a state vendor and, you know, connect the dots here of what's happening between Newsom's campaign and these state vendors that are giving money back and getting money from the state? 
Sure. Say um, you've got, for instance, utilities. Uh, four utilities uh, gave Governor Newsom over $400,000 worth of campaign donations. Just last year, they received about $430 million in state payments alone. Again, you've got the companies, their affiliated PACs, their executives, their employees giving money. You know, they've got interests before the state. Quite evidently, they've got massive $100 million contracts before the state. And, mm -hmm. and they're giving money to the governor, to the chief executive that runs the state. On its face, that's a conflict of interest. On its face, uh, you know, I think we only have to go as far away as Illinois to see the problem. Okay, we're at OpenTheBooks.com, we're based in Illinois. It is the Super Bowl of corruption. Our governors are legendary for the federal indictment and going to the federal penitentiary. As a matter of fact, in 2013, we had two, go two Illinois governors in the federal penitentiary at the same time. One from each party. It was Democrat Rob Blagojevich and Republican George Ryan. Okay, the state legislature got fed up with this. It was embarrassing for Illinois, right? So they passed a pay-to-play law. And here's what it said. If you've got a state contract north of 50 grand, so a relatively small state contract, you can't give money in the governor's race, period. Your top shareholders, your executives, you can't give political cash. California needs to adopt the measure. And make no mistake, Governor Newsom, he could lead on this good, good government issue. He could call a press conference tomorrow. He could he could say he's returning the $10.6 million to the state vendors that he solicited. And, mm -hmm. and he will accept no state vendor money and match the Illinois rule. And that would cure the problem. More permanent solution, the General Assembly in California needs to take action. Yeah. And, and I'm sure we see this all the time and usually what i tell listeners um whenever you're looking into a candidate it seems like money speaks the loudest when it comes to these candidates and it's like if you want to figure out what a candidate is really about just go look at who's giving them money you know just go look and see they may say something in public that they then turn around and they're still accepting money on the back end from something else like i, I think i saw in one of your articles about how you know, California pushes these environmental issues. They're always about these environmental issues, but then on the back end, they're taking money from uh, Pepsi and Coke and uh, what's it, Nestle, that they all produce how many millions of plastic bottles of water yeah. and, and that, that go out into the ocean and all that stuff. So it always seems like they're telling you one thing on one side and then they're turning around and doing the other behind their back to get the money. Yeah, so everyone listening to the program, you're going to remember last January when Newsom's standing out on the tracks in Los Angeles, and he's looking bewildered. He's looking around, and he says, what? Is this a third world country? What the hell is going on here? This was his words, right? And it, while he was saying that, those words are misleading the citizens in California. He's misleading the country. He knows exactly what's going on. He is backed by the same billionaires and the wealthy and woke wives of California billionaires that put $22 million into special soft on crime ballot initiatives and into the campaign coffers of the DAs in San Francisco and Los Angeles. So while, while his political power base 
and millions of dollars of campaign cash come from the same funding mechanism as the quote unquote criminal justice organizations, groups, and wealthy backers, he's looking, he's standing on the tracks acting like he doesn't know what's going on. And it's the very policies that his political power base is pushing that's responsible for the looting. So I want to pull up, uh, this is a good graphic from one of your articles. Um, It's the top 10 California state vendors. And you can look at it and you can see the numbers that uh, it's coming down. So what am I looking at? I'm looking at the campaign donations on one side and the state vendor spending amount next to it. So for example, Anthem Blue Cross, which is at the top, gave $69,000 and they received $844,000, almost $845,000. Is that correct? So, so the donations come from the company itself or its affiliated PAC or its executives or key employees or staffers at the company. So that's, mm-hmm. that's where the money comes from. The state payments come just in one fiscal year, 2021. And it comes from the 442 state agencies that we compiled the line by line payments. Got it. Okay. So that's total. So if you are in good with Newsom, who is the head of the executive agency and all these different agencies, then it's likely you could get more ROI for your investment. Correct. Yes. And make no mistake, Newsom knows how to swear off campaign donations from state vendors when it gets hot. When the news cycle gets hot with a state vendor, he knows how to cut them off. How do we know this? He waited till he was elected governor and he cut PG&E off. Obviously, PG&E is very controversial in the state of California with the wildfires, with all the different lawsuits, with with declaring bankruptcy. Well, he raised hundreds of thousands of dollars from PG&E and he only swore off their campaign contributions so they could contribute no more. He would accept no more after he was elected on it, you know, to, to the office. So, so he waited till he was an incumbent to cut them off. So he knows how to cut off a state vendor when the news cycle gets hot. Yeah. Like this, uh, looking at right now, PG and E, that the employees of that or, or people from that donate 123,000 and state vendor the what they received back from the state was 323,000. That sounds like a pretty good return on investment. If you're almost what's that doubling or three times in your investment, isn't that always someone's goal is that if you can three X your dollars, you're in a good spot. So with PG and E it's actually, it gets a little bit worse. So while Governor Gavin Newsom was soliciting campaign cash from PG&E, and they, obviously they're, they're a state vendor, PG&E was also being solicited by Mrs. Newsom. So, so Jennifer Siebel Newsom was soliciting state vendors for charitable donations to her nonprofit. And according to local news reporting, PG&E gives the governor's wife's nonprofit up to $384,000 worth of donations. So she also had to swear off PG&E donations to her charity. What well, I mean, I, I guess I'm asking the, the obvious question here. When 
spouses of elected high up elected politicians start nonprofits. Is it really to start a nonprofit and to, you know, go after some altruistic goal here and to really help an ill of society? Or is it just a backdoor way to kind of make donations to the Newsom family and, and get more pay for play kind of power moves? Yeah, those are the questions that need to be answered. I mean, everyone that hears about this says, oh, my gosh, they're doing, ex you know, they're taking a page from the Clinton play playbook. They're opening up a Clinton foundation. And here's here's the difference. The Clintons didn't open this up when Bill was governor of Arkansas. They waited until he was a lame duck on the way out the door as president of the United States. Then they opened up their foundation. The Newsoms, they're starting on this really early. So he yeah. becomes lieutenant governor. And, and you know, back in 2012, I believe, is when, when this charitable entity was started. And they're blurring all, they're blurring all the lines between, mm. uh, you know, she has this charity. She says she discloses donors. But on the website, the donor disclosure is at least a year old. Uh, then she opens up another organization, an advocacy organization, a 501c4 organization. Those donations, she'll take anonymous donations. That's right on their website. Those donations are not tax deductible, but a lot of corporations um, can contribute to that 501c4, and she's she's not going to report who is contributing to that private organization. Another way she's blurring the lines is that she actually has a for-profit company called Girls Club Entertainment. Hmm. And from her non-for-profit, the public charity, she has paid Girls Club Entertainment since 2012 $1.5 million. Okay, she also takes a salary from her charitable nonprofit. And since 2013, she's taken $1.6 million in salary from the charitable arm. So all in total, she's transferred from the public charity that she founded, that PG&E put up to $385,000 in, and that other state contractors have put, you know, five-figure gifts into. She's taken a sal she's taken in total between the salary and her for-profit business 3.1 million dollars. Yeah, it's it's you know, having a, a nonprofit and then a, a a pack and then your own private business um, seems to be the way to make money in politics. I, I, I know a lot of, in fact, I know someone here in San Diego quite well who uh, does the same exact thing. We won't bring up any names though. Um, but yeah, that seems to be the way to kind of make money, especially the back door way. Um, so going over this, you did list out a whole bunch of these different uh, sort of contracts. What was probably the most shocking to you that you looked at and actually you stopped and went, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this is actually this is actually real. Well, uh, Reed Hastings founded Netflix. He's the CEO and his wife, Patty Quinlan. They've given Governor Newsom over two hundred thousand dollars worth of campaign cash on the recall election. I think they put three million dollars into the re recall pack. And Netflix is the number one receiver of the California Film Commission's tax credits. Hmm. So they received $97 million in tax credits over the course of the last two reporting periods. I mean, I just, I, you know, look, I'm green eye cynical. You know, we got a lot of green eye shade here. Like I said, you know, we're, we're steeped 
and the Super Bowl of corruption in Illinois, but the fact that these folks can give six-figure campaign donations and seven-figure donations and receive so much state largesse and have so many interests before the state with no prohibition. We were actually a little bit shocked that California is the Wild West in the lack of campaign finance prohibitions. Yeah, and going back to all of these politicians, especially Democrats who kind of hold themselves holier than thou and were so ethical and above everybody else. It's interesting that when you press on stuff like transparency in California, you don't really get a lot of transparency. Um, Just this morning, I was doing a live and I was talking about uh, L.A. County Supervisor Sheila Cool, who is now being investigated um, for taking money or giving no bid contracts to a nonprofit of a good friend of hers. Um, just conveniently, the attorney general, Rob Bonta, stepped in once it became political and said, no, no, I'll take care of it, which I don't think he actually will take care of it. Um, but it does seem like it, it's just the den of thieves in California. We really do have this oligarchy of people who are just looking out for each other. They're letting this happen. They're And they're not really rubbing your face in it because they're hiding it behind all this information. If it weren't for organizations like your own, we wouldn't know a lot of these numbers. Um, so where, what do Californians really kind of take away from this? And what do they, what can they look at these numbers and take away from all of this when it comes to Newsom? Well, you got to raise your voice. That's number one. I mean, you have the government uh, that you, that you get. So if you don't, if you don't exercise your rights and push back on these things and look, I, I think this this campaign finance issue is probably a 95% issue with the American people. It cuts across all party lines. This good government issue is a tremendous public policy issue to put forward and hold the political class accountable. You're going to have a lot of Republicans at the local level, at the county level, doing the same exact thing in their executive positions, and they need to be exposed as well. What we're doing at OpenTheBooks.com is giving you the tools. You can come to our website. And if, look, you know, if somebody is sitting there in Texas or Florida or New Jersey or Maryland or anywhere else in the country, we have the state checkbook up there. Just download your governor's campaign cash and run it through the state checkbook. You can do the same investigation from our website as what we've done here in California. And we need to do it everywhere. Because the political class, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. I mean, just think about the national debt. It was George W. Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden, and our national debt soared from less than $6 trillion to north of $30 trillion in just 20 years. A 5x increase between RDRD. Both parties are spending too much of our taxpayer money, and both parties need to be held accountable. But we can start in California. I mean, this is a pretty egregious uh set of instances with Governor Gavin Newsom. So I do want to um, switch gears, but before I switch gears, I did want to ask Cynthia if she had any questions for Adam before we switch gears to Dr. Fauci. Um, so, Yeah, nice to have you, Adam. So just to give a background, I'm not an attorney at all, so I'm trying to connect the dots as well for the viewers as well. So I guess for a solution and kind of, it might be going down a rabbit hole because 
you alluded to, it's an issue with both parties. I think regardless of which political side you are, um, it's an issue for both. And you'll find it, you know, on the Republican side and on all levels of government. Um, so I guess, like, is the concern more so that Newsom and the and like this case in particular, he's not being transparent when you ask to like open the books? Or do you think it's more of like a moral dilemma? Like, do you think like agencies or companies shouldn't be donating? Should only like individuals donate? Um, I'd love to like get your insight on, on that. Yeah, I, I think if you've got a state contract north of $50,000, if you're a key employee, if you're an executive, if you're a major shareholder, if you um, are the company itself, with a affiliated PAC, you can't give in the governor's race, period. You've got interests before the state. So you can't give to the executive that's running the state. And in Illinois, that's made a big difference. We have not had a governor indicted since this law has been put into place. Do you see it? So since that's happened in Illinois, have you seen kind of keeping an eye on the numbers? Have you seen have you seen an improvement in terms of how many governors have there been since they passed this law specifically? There's been uh, three. I think one okay. that was already there, Pat Quinn, followed by Bruce Rauner, followed by Governor J.B. Pritzker. Okay. Uh, well, J.B. Pritzker, we can kind of leave out there. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, before we... Look, it's not it, it's not a it's not a uh, silver bullet to clean up everything in the state. No, Illinois still no. has massive problems, but it took a major issue off the table in the governor's race, and that was buying clout and buying influence or the perception thereof. Yeah, and then seeing them yeah. turn around and get a, what a it. What it does is it levels the playing field for the challengers to the incumbent political class, because mm. look, these state vendors they're not going to fund the challenger. They're making bank from the existing political establishment. They're going to preserve that status quo for as long as they can because times are really good for them. And they've invested a lot, not only in terms of money, but in terms of relationship. They don't want somebody to upset that apple cart on so many levels. So, so it is an unholy alliance. It is, it's, it may be legal at arm's length in the state of California, but the pattern is troubling. And I think. 95% of the people, if you took a plebiscite, if you took a poll, would find that it's unethical, that these dealings are unethical dealings. So I want to switch over to Dr. Fauci now because everybody's always interested in what's going on with Dr. Fauci. I mean, people are not going to let that go out quietly. Before we hop into that, anyone who's watching or tuning in, make sure you put a comment or question for Adam. I'm sure he'd be happy to answer it. But um Tell us what you've been finding out about Dr. Fauci. You brought that up right before we hopped on. So um, what's some shocking news about Dr. Fauci? So we're the subject matter experts at OpenTheBooks.com on the Fauci family finances. So everybody now knows what we broke in January of 2021. It was national and international news that the number one most highly compensated federal employee was not the president of the United States, not four-star generals in the United States military, but Dr. Anthony Fauci, he out earned all 4.3 million of his colleagues at the federal level. Now he's announced his retirement. And so we estimated his federal pension. Now there's a transparency problem with federal pensions. They are not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. Federal pensions are considered private information. <laughs> 
your U.S. senator, your member of Congress, the bureaucrats, once they retire, you, the taxpayer, you help pay for those pensions, you guarantee those pensions, but you don't get to see them. They're not subject to FOIA. They're not subject to sunshine. So we estimated it according to the rules. Fauci will receive the largest federal pension in history. He'll he'll receive a first-year pension that rivals the president's salary. The president makes 400000 Fauci will get in year one of retirement 375000 Not a bad pension for a public, I put that in air quotes, public servant, correct? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, all the way through. So if you remember in January, the, the, uh, the Senate hearing with Roger Marshall from Kansas, the U.S. Senator, quizzing Fauci on his finances for five minutes, citing Forbes, which was my then column at Forbes on his earnings, on his trades, on his net worth. And then Fauci melted down on the hot mic, called the senator a moron. You can't be America's top doctor if you're melting down on national television and Senate hearings. Our team at OpenTheBooks.com, we had a big stake in that moment. Just last week, Dr. Rand Paul had Fauci in the hot seat on the third party royalties. Again, we broke that investigation in May. We had to sue in federal court for the database of third-party paid royalties to the National Institutes of Health, up to 2,200 of their scientists, and leadership at the agency. And we found that pharmaceutical companies and other entities over the course of the last decade had paid 300,000, and I think it's going to end up about 400, I'm sorry, they paid 300 million, and I think it's going to end up about 400 million that they had paid in third-party paid royalties. An NIH scientist will make an invention that gets licensed to the private sector. The private sector pays royalties back to the agency. Like I said, it's leadership and it's scientists enriching them. So we know, you know, we got the sense during the pandemic that big government was very close to big pharma. Now we know exactly how close they are. Every year, NIH doles out $30 billion to over 50,000 entities in the healthcare space. They basically buy the whole industry with $30 billion. You buy a lot of friends, a lot of clout. Now we know coming back through the other door in the last 10 years was at least $300 million worth of hidden third-party royalties. They still won't tell us on an individual scientist basis who, who received how much from what company. They're redacting the name of the company making the payment and they're redacting the invention and the license and patent numbers as well. That's a, I, I mean, it just seems like they figured out the game pretty well where they're like, well, we figured out if we give campaign donations, uh, then we'll get some kickback. Now it seems like the government has figured out if we dole out money, we'll also get some kickback. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the last time that this database had sunshine was 17 years ago. In 2005, the Associated Press, they filed a Freedom of Information Act request. They got the whole database. Nothing was blanked out. Nothing was redacted. And they, they found conflicts of interest with Fauci. Fauci had re received about $45,000 worth of third-party paid royalties on an AIDS drug that he had invented. And he was, as director of his institute, he was greenlitting millions of dollars more in taxpayer money to augment the drug he had invented that he was receiving royalties on. And he admitted it was a conflict of interest, 
But 17 years ago, he said he'd donate his royalties to charity. Uh, you know, I don't know how that cures anything. But anyway, uh, there was never any more scrutiny on that database. Uh, in the House Appropriations hearing, John Moliner out of Michigan had had the acting director of NIH, Lawrence Tabak, in the hot seat for five minutes, 36 hours after we broke this story on the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of third-party paid royalties. Tabak, after three minutes, finally admitted, yes, every single payment has the appearance of a conflict of interest. Absolutely. I don't think they can give us the database, and I'll tell you why. There are so many conflicts of interest that we've been able to tease out of this database with the limited amount of information that we can see. It is stunning. And we're going to start to roll these stories out in the press this fall. So do you think there's any hope for this Fauci case? Because I know like for me personally, like it just seems like, you know, these kinds of systems and these agencies, they just seem so powerful and it's almost like impossible to just kind of take down. So do you have any hope, you know, in these, in these instances? Well, I got to take Rand Paul at his word that if uh, if the November, if the Republicans, you know, take the House or the Senate, they're they're going to change the rules. You know, they're going to they're going to get to the bottom and and get us data where we can actually follow the money. So I take them at their word. They're going to take action on this. I mean, I, I hope is that something that has to be done legislatively where Biden has to sign off on it or is that something they can do? on their own. So here's the timeline. Uh, so to answer your question is, we are making the transparency a part of our federal lawsuit on the production of the this third-party paid royalty database, right? So here's the timeline on how that's going to occur. Last February, NIH admitted to us they were holding 3,000 pages of line-by-line third-party royalties. They were going to produce that at three, a rate of 300 pages a month. So in November, we'll have the entire database. Like I said, a lot of it is blanked out. It's heavily redacted. So as soon as we get the 3,000 pages, we're back in front of the federal judge saying, hey, you know, they're redacting these things on a specious basis. It's not lawful. And we're going to ask the judge to give a, you know, to order that the agency turns over an unredacted database. We're going to have to fight it in court. Okay. And so for the the other part that they want to change the rule, uh, if Republicans do take over in November, coming up in two months, that still would have to be something they would have to legislatively do. Is that a rule or is that, how does, how do they work that out? So here's what I think think Rand Paul means by that. We alerted his staff to the fact that these third-party paid royalties, they're not published anywhere. There's absolutely no transparency on them. And the, and, the, and the scientists and the leadership at NIH, every year, Congress mandates that they have to file an ethics and financial disclosure form. So why aren't the royalty payments on the form? And they're not. Mm. Because NIH has this convoluted definition of what the third party paid royalty really is. They say it's an NIH payment because the pharmaceutical companies pay the agency and the agency turns around and pays the scientist. So since it's an agency payment to the scientists, it doesn't go on their individual ethics and financial disclosures. 
Can you believe that? They have a system workaround to make sure these payments from third parties never see the light of day. There's where you need the rules change as well. How much stuff, if, if let's just say you could go ahead and everything goes according to plan, you get everything you want and you could look at all these numbers. How much of it in the past two years do you think is going to be related to COVID? And we can really start diving into how much money was the NIH giving out to, uh, you know, this particular company or this pharmaceutical company or stuff like that. Do you do you expect to see a lot of stuff like that in those numbers? Well, well here's what we expect to see. We expect to see all the grants, and then we expect to see all the payments coming through the through back through the other door off licensed inventions. So all of that during the COVID era, era for any patent and licensed uh, science finding, uh, we would be able to follow the money and track the payments and the conflicts of interest. I mean, it's it's it makes your head spin when you think about how much our government actually wastes. And the stuff that you guys do is, uh, is so important that people see just how much is wasted or how much goes wherever it's going. Uh, because I think people don't really understand. They just think it's, it's government money. It's just, hey, it's government money. It, it comes from somewhere. It's unlimited. It just, we find it somewhere. And if we don't have enough, we'll just tax more. It's always the billionaire's fault for taxing. Um, so it's, it's the stuff that you guys do and the stuff that I read is just, I find that, and we were talking about this before, I think when people see money and how much money is being wasted or kicked back to companies like in Newsom's case, that really kind of strikes a chord with people. Do you find that a lot with the work that you do? So think about the presidential election in 2016. There's been a bit of progress, but probably not as much progress that the American people want on the on the issue that I'm going to talk about. Yet Bernie Sanders on the left and Donald Trump on the right, and they were running on eerily similar messaging that the system's rigged and it's rigged for insiders. Well, at OpenTheBooks.com, we show you in detail just how bad it is just how rigged the system is against regular people at all levels in this country. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, one of our listeners, one good friend of the show, Camille, asks, uh, is open the books hiring. She's a numbers nerd. So she's really enjoying this. And she's one of our, our I would say she's the best political researcher in the West. Wow. Um, so she really loves this stuff. Um, and, and she's looks like she's loving the show so far. Um, just send, yeah, me a resume is lit. <laughs> send me a resume at adam at open the books.com well there you go camille you got a direct pipeline to to adam and see if you can help out she loves this stuff so she'd be a lot of help um i you know we want to make sure we're, we're cognizant of your time we know you have to get up early tomorrow uh you're in illinois you're not on our time zone so we thank you for staying up late with us um this has been incredibly, incredibly informative. I look forward to having you back on again when there's even more numbers. I'm sure you'll always have numbers. I don't think the crusade ever ends when it comes to what you're doing. Um, so why don't we tell people where they can find you and where they can go support you and learn more about the organization? So the fastest way to get inside 
are all of our breaking news as it happens or even before it happens with insider updates is just come to our website at openthebooks.com. You'll get your first trip in, you'll get hit with a pop-up and key your email address. That puts you on our breaking news list. That's the best way to keep in contact. Then once you get to the site, you know, I think we all have an obligation to search our local units of government. So if you're concerned, for instance, about your K through 12 school district, we got their entire payroll. And in many instances, we also have their checkbook spending. And these things would go back for the last three or four years. Awesome. Uh well, I, I found this incredibly informative, as always, just like the last time you were on. Um, Cynthia, what, what are your thoughts finishing up? Oh, absolutely. I It was so informative. And I remember watching the last podcast that you were on, and I thought it was fascinating, too. So it was nice to be able to meet you and you know be able to pick your brain and hear your thoughts. Um, I know Phil and I will be following along these cases closely. Um, and as always, I'm sure it's implied, but you are more than welcome. You have an open invitation. So if you have any major updates that you want to spell, if you, you know, have any major developments that you would like to share on this platform, you know, definitely contact us. We'd be more than happy to have you back on. Yeah, sounds great. I mean, look, specific to California, Governor Newsom and state spending, it's a target rich environment. There are so many angles. I think our auditors right now are building out 10 gainful segments that we're exploring and finding all kinds of head spinning details that um, that I think will make national news over the course of the next couple of years. And I can't wait to see it. So thank you again, Adam. Um, best of luck in your training as well. I know you were training for a marathon. That's correct, right? Or you did a marathon. Are you training for a marathon? Well, this will be my ninth Chicago marathon. I've only run Chicago. It is a world-class city and it's a world-class race. There's a million spectators that come out and typically we get fairly good weather. So uh, this is the year for 26 years. I've been trying to break four hours. I don't have a lot of time to train for these things, but, uh, but this year I'm feeling confident. I think I broke uh, 10 miles walking around Disneyland, but that was over the course of like eight or nine hours. Is that, good. Is that good in your estimate? Heck yeah, that's a long ways. It's that's hard to run time. one mile. It's hard to yeah. do anything for four hours, even watch TV on a couch, much less run. That's that's absolutely that's true. true. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't think of anything I'd do for four hours besides sleeping <laughs> or laying around watching TV. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, best of luck, uh, in the marathon as always, you've, you open invitation if you're wanting to come back, uh, and to everyone who's been listening and tuning in, thank you for tuning in. Um, as I always end every show, if you enjoyed this, text it to one friend, uh, share. And I think this is specifically this episode. I think you should text to multiple friends because there's a lot of information here. Spread this far and wide. Um, and as always, if you like the show, make sure you subscribe, like, and review and all that stuff. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it, and follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 